With the 21st pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Houston Texans select Will Fuller. Wide receiver, Notre Dame. There you go. So it is a wide receiver. With the 85th pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, my Houston Texans select Braxton Miller. Wide receiver, with the 12th pick in the 2017 NFL Draft, the Houston Texans select Deshaun Watson. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast. Talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles and it's that time of year again or what Bill O'Brien's left for us anyway of that time of year again as we're looking towards the draft the number of series of analysts we're going to have on the show in the run-up to try and see what the Texans can make out of rounds three and onwards. This week I'm joined by Shane Pete Hallam of FakePigSkin.com. Shane, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm, uh, you know, excited for draft season. April's here, so uh, I always love talking draft. I appreciate you having me. No, thanks. Thanks. Absolutely delighted that Shane could join us. I think it's um, it's it's a strange time of year, isn't it? Because I think you every team's got hope and they've got a clean slate, I suppose, in many ways, and how they can either rebuild or start to rebuild their team. And how have you kind of found the process this year because it's not been like your atypical yearly dent the draft it's definitely been a struggle i think uh this year even more than last year um just knowing kind of what's in place and not being able to you know have the full nfl season and everyone playing the same games and um being able to see some out of conference stuff and a lot of players opting out yeah, it made things very difficult. And then I think when you toss in no combine and the, these pro days are kind of all over the place um, trying to get athletic numbers, is it apples to apples? Is it not? You know, uh, there's a lot that goes into it. So I think for me, it's been one of the tougher years to evaluate prospects, especially some of the newer ones that have kind of emerged over the past calendar year or so um, and had good seasons or been under the radar you know, it gets really difficult. I think we'll see NFL teams with just their, you know, their boards to just vary wildly um, this season. And, you know, it could lead to some real late round gems at some points too. And on the opt-out, Shane, like, how do you think that'll affect players? Because I know there's a difference between football shape and non-football shape. And a lot of these guys weren't injured. It was health reasons, family reasons, etc. How do you think teams will view the guys that have opt-out? Do you think that'll count against them? I, you know, I really thought when it was happening that teams would hold it against them um, just because sometimes some of those NFL evaluators, you know, they, they want guys that love football. And, if you, you know, if you're not going to play this year, do you really love football? I thought we'd get some of those questions. But most of the guys that opted out that are in the draft are, like, really good, right? So uh, I think that means teams will kind of give them a little bit of a pass. I don't think we're going to see those high-end prospects drop. Uh, because of it, I do think there are players who it hurt, you know, by opting out. Now, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have if it was you know, for health reasons, family reasons, whatever. But, you know, someone like Jamie Newman, the quarterback from Wake Forest who transferred to Georgia, could have really used the season to establish his stock. So I think maybe artificially it'll hurt some players that could have helped themselves and really didn't. Um, but those high-end prospects, the Jamar Chase's, um, you know, wide receiver LSU and Micah Parsons, linebacker Penn State. You know, those guys are they're they're going to go in the first round and be just fine. Yeah, and you said about guys dropping late. Um, do you think there's also a the inverse of that? Is there going to be guys that the teams take a bit higher than they they might have done otherwise? But they partly because they won't know the full background whether that's character or health. Do you think there's a a bigger risk for teams this year in terms of some of the the, the, the room for error is obviously large and it continues to get larger as the further down you go you go down the rounds. But do you think this year it's there's there's a p- potential for more busts to be in there just with that lack of data on guys? I, I think it's possible. Um, I also think kind of with that, the teams will 
take players they just feel more comfortable with, um, even if they don't necessarily have the best players in terms of athleticism or how they play the game. You know, I think when you, you can't really sit down with players, you know, at the senior bowl or at the combine, then it's like these Zoom meetings. I think they're going to be a lot of old school NFL guys that are just not going to be super comfortable with it. Maybe last year helped a little bit. But they at least had some in-person meetings with some of these players last season. This time there's nothing. Um, so I think that could play a part in, well, you know, th- this guy I feel comfortable with or I know the, the head coach of the college team or, you know, so that could lead, I think, to play. Maybe there being more busts. Maybe teams would just take maybe not a better player, but a more comfortable player, and it'll just be a little bit too high. Yeah, and do you subscribe to the notion of the, the group think that a lot of co- college or college personnel from pro teams spend a lot of time together and, and and partly through the process there's some overthink as well. Do you think that 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 contributes to people overthinking it in some sense and taking bust? Do you think that's maybe removed in, in some sense this year? I'm really interested to see, um, you know, how that kind of connection between scouts to different teams and evaluators uh, happened. You know, I mean, you, you still you look at the pro days and all the teams are still there. You know, it, it may not be those low level scouts, but uh, still, I think those GM relationships will play a part. I think there'll be still be some sharing. But uh, like I said, I think teams boards will differ. I, I, I'm kind of with you and what you said in terms of. Well, you can't really share as much at the lower levels. Uh, you can't really fake it as much um, in a way of getting information from other teams and other sources. So I think there are going to be some teams that have guys as you know top 10 picks and, and others might have them in, in the second or third round. It wouldn't surprise me if we have a couple of surprises on the first or second day of the draft of players we really didn't expect to be there. Yeah, I suppose that there, there will be some medicals conducted in Indianapolis, I suppose, and that may give teams some some solace in some of their picks but they it's certainly shaping up to be the the fastest draft draft class of all times of all these sub four fours and four four times that are coming out of pro days it's it's really interesting um just how those numbers have looked you know and i don't know if it's really been maybe as bad as it seems i think it's a bit of um just just a bias of seeing these pro day numbers right because usually we get the combine. It's all at once. We see some of the four fours and the four threes. They're the good players that were supposed to be there. And then when yeah, the pro days come, you don't worry about the combine guys. And it's guys that probably aren't very athletic anyway. Um, you know, this year we kind of got it spaced out. We got to see all those numbers over time. And uh, so, you know, historically it's actually not looking to be that much different. The positions that are, have run better offensive tackle uh, receiver corner are the best positions in the draft. So it makes a lot of sense that they would have better numbers than the, you know, the average class was, you know, running backs. We, we have a lot of four, six guys and a lot of high four five guys. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think maybe, maybe the pro day versus combine might, might be a little more overblown um, than it seems. And it's just kind of when we're getting our information is just very different. And that can kind of skew how we view uh, the information that's being put out there. Yeah. Okay. And I, I suppose if you take the if we take the recent trade of Sam Darnold as a as probably a good kind of or probably got a reasonable sample size, and then we've seen him come into the league and then be moved on by the team that drafted him third overall. When you look back on the Darnold pick, what did you make of it at the time, and how do you assess? The sort of the or the evaluation that, that either you or, or or the majority gave them, and why that's maybe not worked out and translated to the next level. Uh, I I liked Sam Darnold. Um, you know he was he was fairly high on my board. Um, I thought that he could be the best quarterback from that class. Um, I thought he had some issues throwing interceptions, which continued into the NFL making some bad decisions. Um, so I had him above Baker Mayfield. I had him above Josh Allen um, and, and the rest of the quarterbacks there. So it's, it sucks to see that, that he hasn't really progressed. Um, you know, I think really it was the last year that Todd Bowles team uh, on the Jets and it wasn't great. You know, you're bringing in a rookie quarterback. I think that's always tough. 
And then we got the Adam Gase era, which is just a, a, an abysmal era for any team to go through. We saw that with the Dolphins. So do I think Sam Darnold got a bit of a raw deal? I do. Um, but he's certainly not, you know, Patrick Mahomes. He's certainly not Lamar Jackson. I think these kind of players could have excelled with anyone, any coach, any system. I don't think that's Sam Darnold. Uh, so, you know, I think the Jets got a good deal. I mean, they were going to take Zach Wilson at number two, um, no matter what. So you might as well get something for Sam Darnold. And then at, at this point, if you're the Panthers, uh, if you feel like you're not going to get whatever quarterback you want, it makes sense. I, I just don't – I don't know if Sam Darnold can overcome three years of bad production and stunted development. I think that's really hard to do as a quarterback. You know, I, we saw some flashes with Ryan Tannehill. I, I really didn't feel like we saw that. Uh, aside from a play here or there with Sam Darnold. So as high hopes as I had for him coming out of college, I'm not sure if his failure is completely on him, but that doesn't mean he's going to turn it around and magically be a great quarterback. But if anyone can do it, it's it's Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator for the Panthers, who you know led that LSU offense with uh, Joe Burrow, who I think got a lot more out of Teddy Bridgewater than he probably should have. Uh, for the Panthers last season. So I think it's a good spot, but I, I'm not really saying that – I really don't know. I think Sam Darnold's going to turn around and suddenly be a top-ten quarterback anytime soon. Then of that sort of year one entrance into the league, can you ever underestimate how important that level of momentum, how much just to hit a, a good situation that can allow a player to embed, learn what it means to be a pro – then also raise their game to the next level. It seems like any player who maybe gets in a bad situation, as you said, bad offensive coordinates, changeover in staff, or not the right scheme, being not asked to do the things that made them successful at the collegiate level when they go to the pros, if they don't have that level playing field, it feels like for many guys, it's just too much of a mountain to climb up if you get knocked down. And I think there are players that transcend that. You know, I think Patrick Mahomes could have probably went anywhere and been successful, but he sat for a year. Yeah. He got to learn. He, he got, you know, to be in the end of read offense. Uh, so who knows? You know, uh, we, we don't really get to know, but I think there are so many quarterbacks, especially that if you put them in a bad situation, or like you said, a team that doesn't really want to use their talents and wants that quarterback to fit the offense. You know, I mean, you, you put Lamar Jackson in a pro style scheme. Is he ever going to win MVP of the league? Like it's never going to happen. So I, I think sometimes, you know, it, it can be an issue uh, at least in stunting the growth of some of these players. And, and over the years, Shane, what have been your eval, you know, evaluations that you would, you know, you're, you're happy to tell everyone about and you, you were on, on the guy early and who are the, who are the guys that you've completely missed on? Um, so I'll say, you know, in terms of hits, um, last year, I think was maybe my, my shining gem. I was very high on James Robinson, the running back out of Southern Illinois yep. coming in. Uh, he was my RB 11 coming into the draft. I thought he was worth a fourth round pick. He obviously didn't get drafted, but had a very successful year with Jacksonville. So I have to tout that one when I can, um, you know, you got to take those wins. And, and on the other side, I think a, a player that I wasn't, um, you know, wasn't super high on and seemed like everyone else was that I think I, I hit on was um, uh, a wide receiver, Greg Little from 2011, was drafted by the Browns, was a running back converted receiver, super athletic guy, but I mean, he, he just didn't have the receiver chops. I thought that was pretty obvious and everyone seemed to think he was the next big thing. In terms of misses, um, I definitely have uh, more than a few. Um, probably my biggest miss was... Kendall Wright, um, in 2012 receiver, the Titans drafted from Baylor. He was my number one receiver that year. And that 2012 receiver draft was pretty brutal uh, as a whole, uh, other than some late-round guys like T.Y. Hilton and Elshon Jeffrey. But I thought Kendall Wright was going to be this, like basically what Antonio Brown was, um, just this explosive, really productive player. And uh, he kind of fizzled out very fast. And then a player that I was low on that uh, really succeeded – um, you know, we t I mentioned him before is Josh Allen. I think there were a lot of people that felt that way, but I never really saw it. I mean, I saw the size and athletic ability and arm, but I mean, his accuracy was so bad in college. I thought it was a 
really wasted pick in the top 10. Uh, but the Bills, you know, kind of like we talked about, I mean, really built around him into his strengths. And then so to his benefit and their benefit, he developed. Um, but, th- you know, that was probably one of my biggest misses uh, watching him last year just just dominate the league. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I've publicly admitted to this before, but I remember on draft night and obviously the, the future looks a bit bleaker, certainly uncertain, but I remember, we'd had a number of years running up prior to the 2017 class of there just wasn't a supply of of quarterbacks. And, I, and I, when they drafted the sh- or traded up to, to get Deshaun, I remember thinking that, you know, then the big knock on him was arm, arm, arm strength, the velocity of the ball coming out, you know, at the combine wasn't there. And I thought that was potentially not the right move, but um, not got a huge history of draft of draft analysis, but certainly that was one that one that it got wrong, and I suppose you you, you learn from it, don't you? But uh, <laughs> but um, of the last year's picks, Shane, um, the Texans had their smallest ever draft class going into last year. Obviously, a lot of kind of controversy around DeAndre Hopkins' pick. That pick they got in return from Arizona was Ross Blacklock. He didn't have a great year last year. Is there is what was your sort of evaluation of coming out, and do you think, or what do you think the future holds from in the league? I I I thought he was a solid player. Uh, I thought that was about where he should go. Um, you know, I think as a nose tackle and that lower body strength, I thought he could excel in that role. He just didn't, doesn't have that huge range. So I thought he maybe was a little bit miscast in Houston last year. Uh, I don't think the defense really used him to his talents and trying to have him just eat up too many gaps when that's not really how he worked at, at TCU. So I, I think there's still hope. Like I think there could still be some good things with, with um, you know, if there's some changes to his role and how they utilize him to stop the run and maybe even get a little pass rush. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm still have some hope for uh, Ross, uh, uh, Blacklock, I, ho- I hope he can work out there. Yeah, because I think moving to a four three will probably suit his skill set better. I think because at times his his head was spinning a bit. He spent a lot of time on the ground. He got knocked down. Uh, pad level was too high, um, and he just didn't just didn't look like he was going to influence games in the way you thought. Somebody at that pick in the draft certainly was slated to to do. And I think the same goes for Jonathan Grenard as well. I know he was a transfer. For transfer from Louisville uh, and and then to and then to Florida. What did you make of him? And do you think he'll benefit from just being a hand in the dirt guy, sub sub package rusher than he was last year? He didn't really see a huge amount of the field. I I think he hopefully will be better in that four three system. I mean, I was that that pick surprised me. Um, uh, he was not in my top one hundred. I uh, for for the Huddle Report contest, I I, I had the most players correct in my top 100 at 85 out of the 100 and um jonathan greener was not one of them uh was one of the 15 i missed uh, just you know he was a very stiff player and i really thought that fit was super poor that if you're going to pick a player that's a little stiff off the edge you know you want him to have his hand in the dirt um and you can maybe allow him to use some other type of pass rush moves but when you're standing up in the three four you know if you don't have the bend I, I think it becomes very very tough to unless you're like a you know dominant uh strength bull rush player which he's not then I think it becomes tough to win so uh, hopefully this change will help him but uh I, I thought that was uh, a pretty bad pick at the time and a guy who we didn't really see but was a bit of a kind of trendy draft twitter pick last year was Isaiah Coulter from Rhode Island. Obviously, we have got zero sample size at the pro level, but what do you see as a sort of potential career for a guy like that drafted in the fourth round? I, I really liked him. I mean, I was, I was, I guess, in that trendy bandwagon. Um, and coming from Rhode Island and coming out early, he was a player that needed some time to develop. So I hope they don't, you know, give up on him. I think he could be a player that he's not going to be, you know, come out and be Andre Johnson or anything, but I think you could have a solid role player to get some tough third downs, uh, good in the red zone. I think there could be a role for him if he can stay healthy. So he's a player I'm hoping we see a little bit more of this season. And um, I hope the Texans, you know, try to utilize him. And as it pertains to this year's draft class in 2021, we've kind of talked about some of the difficulties, but of the talent that you can see, and if you take your general when we talk about 100, what, how would you characterize this class? What are the sort of themes that you think people should be aware of as it pertains to this, this talent that's, that's about to get picked up at the end of April? 
I mean, I think at the high end, the first round, it's an offensive class. It's a loaded, you know, offensive class. I think the defensive positions lag behind um, a lot, and, and that's that's something that's you know been happening a lot. Uh, but this this year, especially, the offense is just way more prioritized. I think we could see the top eight picks of the draft be all offense, um, and that, that that's pretty rare. As a whole. I think offensive tackle is a super deep class. I think uh, you're going to see some teams in the first round pass on offensive tackle that you know, everyone's like, oh, they have to take, you know, this offensive tackle when they feel like they can get a similar player in the second round. You know, why waste that pick? Uh, I think we're going to see that happen. I think receiver again, just like last season, is very deep. Um so, you know, last draft, we did see a lot go in the first round. Could happen again this year. Uh, I'm interested to see, but I think there are some going to be some good players in the second and third round. Uh, and then corner. You know, I think corner has now a couple high-end guys and Patrick Sertain from Alabama and J.C. Horn from South Carolina. But I think there's some nice depth in the third, fourth round. Um, there's some nickel guys. There's some big, you know, athletic outside players, some physical players. So kind of anything you want at corner, I think is out there. Um, it's thin at some spots. You know, I think, I think running back, uh, that, that well is going to dry up really quickly after the second round. Uh, I think running back is going to be a little bit rough. I pass rush is not great. Um, I think it's really hard to find good edge guys in this class after, um, you know, I mean, even the first round, I think some of them are being overhyped a bit. And then uh, defensive tackle, you know, interior defensive line. Um, I think there's some players there, but it's it's a class that just doesn't wow you. It's possible none of them. There's not one defensive tackle in the first round. I'm thinking there's going to be one but uh, with Christian Barmore from Alabama, but it's possible there's none. And it's possible some of these players we're talking about as potential first-round picks early in the process, Jalen Twyman from Pittsburgh, Marvin Wilson from Florida State, could follow the third or fourth round. It's just a, a poor group as a whole. And, um, and and honestly, I think there's a, there are teams that need that position. So I'm intrigued to see how that's going to go. Overall, I think it's a solid class given the circumstances. Um, but I, I wouldn't put it up there with last year's class uh, as a whole. I think it's a step below. Yeah, and do you think at the – in terms of the sort of macro kind of view of, of college talent that's coming out, where do you do you do you see this sort of deep 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 wide receiver trend continuing? And is there you know as I talked about before, it seemed like there was a, a dearth of, of talent at, at at quarterback for a long time, and it seemed the same for offensive line. And last year that that narrative changed with a number of guys going early and a number of guys all being productive in year one. What's the kind of sort of trends that you're kind of seeing maybe? being bucked or continue in terms of just sort of macro talent that's coming out here at college? I'll say, you know, from a, a really macro level, I, I think defense is um, getting thinner and thinner. Uh, I think I think teams, you know, a lot of these talented corners, a lot of these talented, you know, athletes, they're playing quarterback now. They're playing receiver. Um, if you're big and athletic, you'll play, you know, tight end essentially or be, be a receiver. Um, so I think we're seeing that happen a lot at the high school level. And so in college, it becomes really difficult, um, to really have defenders in general, you know, receiver is continuing to explode. I, I think generally receivers are getting smaller, getting faster. Um, if you're, you know, small athletic, that's what you'll do. Um, you know, in high school, a lot of those players are playing quarterback and then transitioning to running back or receiver in college, a guy like Cam Akers, uh, the running back for the Rams was a high school quarterback. He never played running back till he got to college, um, and now he's a successful pro. So I think it's something that can happen. Um, I, I do think offensive linemen are just getting more and more athletic. Uh, now if you're a big mover, then that's what you'll play. And so that really takes out, I think, a lot of defensive tackles, a lot of defensive linemen. Um, you know, Those positions are even getting a little smaller because of that. Um, tight end is going just out of style. Uh, teams just aren't using it in college. And that's going to pose a problem, I think, for the NFL. It's already such a thin position. Um, those players aren't there. And obviously, you know, the, the quarterback's changing. We're, we're, you, go, you better have some athleticism. If you're a statue, you're not going to play college football anymore. Um, 
there's just no place for you. And, um, you know, that, that's where it is. It's about getting those basketball players, about getting those athletes and getting them on the football field instead of, you know, you have a great arm and that's great. But if you can't move, um, you're not going to start in college. And uh, I think the NFL is going to st- has already started in that direction, but I think we'll see it even more very soon that the Tom Brady and Peyton Manning's of the world won't even get a chance. Yeah, I think you. I suppose you've seen that. And would you say uh, Trevor Lawrence is the is he the is he one of the very few that is a kind of albeit he's got a lot of movement skills, but can just stand in the pocket first and foremost? Is he unique in that sense in terms of this quarter this quarterback class that's coming in? How do you and where do they this quarterback group that potentially are talking four in the first four picks could go? How do you how do you rank them? Uh, you know, I, I think Trevor Lawrence is kind of the um, example of what's happening. Uh, I mean, he's, he's probably a four, six, you know, 40 runner. Um, he's, he's fast. I mean, he outran Baron Browning for Ohio state in that playoff game who ended up running a, I think a four, five, four uh, linebacker at his pro day. So like Trevor Lawrence can, can run, you know, Justin Fields can run Zach Wilson uh, is, you know, has four, six speed Trey Lance, from North Dakota State has, um, you know, has that four four speed. Uh, even you know, even Mac Jones from Alabama, who looks like he's going to go three to the 49ers, You know, I mean, he's not a statue. Um, he can move around to the pocket and, and ran decently. But you know, I, I I think Trevor Lawrence. I wrote an article for Fake Pigskin that he's the best quarterback prospect I've ever scouted. I started in 2004. He has the highest grade I've ever given to a quarterback, um, just with the way he manipulates defenses. And has that athletic ability um, along with the arm. I think he's phenomenal. I think he'll be really good in Jacksonville. Um, Justin Fields from Ohio State's by number two, and he's going to go later than that. But um, these these two, Lawrence and Fields, were the best quarterbacks in Georgia, the best recruited highest recruited quarterbacks. Their classes um, in high school, you know, they've been my number one, number two since they were seniors in high school. Like it hasn't changed. They're still the best players on the field. So I think whoever gets Justin Fields will get a steal. Uh, and then you kind of have the, the the breed that came in really this year and, and you know made an impact or rose up boards. Zach Wilson from BYU is my number three. Um, phenomenal deep field passer. You know, puts the ball on a dime wherever he wants to place it. He can place it, but he just didn't really face much adversity because of the, the you know because of COVID and because of the year. Um, BYU didn't play their schedule. They're independent. So they ended up scheduling it. Most of the teams weren't very good. And the best team they played, Coastal Carolina, he struggled. Um, so I just have some concerns. He's going to go to the Jets at two. I have some concerns with him. Um, Trey Lance from North Dakota State, great athlete, big arm. He's my number four. Uh, but I think, you know, he has to, I think he should sit a year. He just isn't quite ready. Um, in their national championship game, he completed six passes. He ran for 200 yards. Um, and that's, that's not quite going to get it done in the NFL unless the team really builds around you. And then Mac Jones is my number five, the quarterback from Alabama. You know, I think he will go three to the 49ers and he's just solid. You know, he, he's a solid player all around. He has good accuracy, but this isn't the Alabama of old with a pro style system. He, you know, he threw 30% of his passes behind the line of scrimmage. Um, he really utilized those talents in Alabama. I'm interested to see if he goes to the Shanahan offense, what he can do. But I, I just, I think his ceiling is low. I think we, we aren't going to see, you know, a, a top quarterback at, at that position for Mac Jones in the NFL. And that's not something I would take that high. Yeah, and do you, where do you see the sort of inflection points sitting then? Do you think teams will continue to trade up in those top picks and there'll be, you know, a top three or five talent will get pushed right down the board and potentially out of the top ten? And is there any anybody you think in the first round that could slide a bit and surprise people? Uh, I think four for Atlanta. I think that's the next pick we got to figure out. Do they move down? Do they take uh, Justin Fields? Um and, you know, I really think that we see the offensive tackles slide down, like I mentioned before. I think uh, Panay Sewell, who to me is the second best player in this draft um, behind Trevor Lawrence, I think he's going to fall a bit. I think he could fall to, you know, eight to Carolina. I think people will be a bit surprised. Um, but once again, it's a deep offensive tackle class. And I think a team like the Bengals 
don't necessarily need to take an offensive. Their offensive tackles are set this year, so we could see that falling, uh, him falling down. I also think Denver at nine is kind of the first team that could take a defensive player, um, and you know I think that's when someone has to kind of break break that uh, that mold a little bit, right, and take a defensive player and start that movement. Uh, so I think you know, do they take a quarterback or do they go? with, uh, you know, pass rusher defense, um, that could really set the tone. So it's already been fun. I mean, we've already had, you know, a big trade for number three. Um, and, and, you know, obviously we had Miami moving back up. So uh, to the fact that teams are already making moves does make this an intriguing draft and that teams kind of have maybe a really good idea of what they want to do um, even a month before, which usually doesn't happen. because there's just not much more to gain. So, um, and then toward the end of the draft, I think Miami and, and the Jets, their second picks that they have, um, I'm interested to see what they do, you know, because these are teams that maybe need a running back, maybe need a playmaker, um, maybe a corner. I think we could see, uh, you know, some players pushed around the board uh, with them as well. Yeah. And do you think, um, I, I suppose, do you think teams will have learned from last year's sort of purely digital draft obviously if you've got the vaccine you can be back in the in the draft room obviously o'brien famously with the jonathan grenard picks looked like they had a trade with detroit sort of through a bit of sort of public sphere that they probably didn't want to see sort of internal discussions but do you think teams all have, all have improved their operate operation this year on in terms of that and it might actually facilitate more trades and more action on on the on on draft days than there has been previously I think so. You know, I, I think teams are probably still a little bit worried. I think that's why we're seeing some movement already. Is that you know teams want to don't want to put it on a, a short clock and have those discussions over weeks. Um, so I think especially for the first round, we might see some of those discussions and trades have already been agreed to um, conditionally, and we could see that happen on draft day. But I, I think we're going to see more trading this year, certainly than we did last season. And of course, as I've mentioned at the top, Bill O'Brien infamously has sort of taken much of the the draft prelude and the, the joy probably out of it. Um, but looking at rounds three and beyond, the likelihood of these guys being round from round three onwards, Shane, you mentioned edges a bit thin. Is there any potential that the Texas could get a guy there who could... You know, Perhaps a Max Crosby type falls. Is there any any guys that you think you could be keeping an eye out for from an edge rusher point of view that could be available from sixty seven onwards? I think there will be a couple players. I think uh, you should almost kind of go the Max Crosby route and look at players that you know have good athletic number numbers with production, but maybe uh, have fallen a bit. Um, so a guy I like a lot is Patrick Johnson, the defensive end from Tulane. Um, had you know ten sacks this past season. Um, you know, led, led, had ten and a half sacks in twenty eighteen. Uh, he's someone that's been like super productive in college for a long time. Tested fairly well athletically. He's not you know a, a top athlete, um, but you know teams maybe just don't see that explosive you know um, first step. And so those are the kind of players that fall. That's how you, I think you get a good edge player that uses that toughness and strength. Um, so he's a player that's intriguing to me in that kind of third round. I, I think even third day, fourth, fourth, fifth round is possible for him. Um, so I think that's, uh, that, you know, he's intriguing. And then um, there, there's kind of a duo from Florida State in the late rounds that I think could really be a good fit. Uh, for the Texans and Joshua Kando from uh, Florida State and Janarius Robinson, both like really good athletes that maybe didn't quite have that production. So I think if you look super late in the draft, you want to kind of swing for upside. I think they're kind of the anti-Jonathan Greenard of you know guys that have this explosive ability, have the pedigree, but maybe just never really put it together. And, and those are the guys late I, I think you should t- try to take a chance at. So um, those are some of the edge guys I like, maybe even that third day that could be – Fairly productive. Okay, and for each one of these positions, Shane, I'll give you a guy who I've just taken in a mock draft that we uh, ran here with a sort of group of UK fans that done in the last couple of years. But um, it's probably in no way the big board. I think was in no way uh, representative of, of some of the boards that I trust anyway. But 
that fell in that mock was, was uh, Boogie Basham uh, from out of Wake Forest. What do you think of that slate? Is he likely to fall that low? Um, what do you think of him as a player? I really like him. He he's my um, fourth defensive end. Uh, I I like him more than guys that will go ahead of him, and he kind of fits that that mold I was talking about before. You know, guys that have been productive. You know, he had the double digit sacks in twenty nineteen. Um, Average what would be that in twenty twenty uh, essentially, and so he's a player. I, you know, I don't know if he'll be around. Um, you know, maybe round three. I think I think it could happen because he's another player that's just not that doesn't have that top end athleticism, but he's you know he's huge. I mean, he uses that length and um, that strength and ability to keep offensive linemen off of him, and that's how he wins. So I think teams could opt for the you know Jason Oway, Oways and Joe Tryons who have that athleticism. Um, Boogie Basham's a player you could kick inside on third down and get a little pass rush from the defensive tackle spot. He's versatile. Um, so I would, I would love that pick. If, if he falls, I think that'd be a slam dunk. And staying on the front seven defensive tackle. I know you said, but Barrymore at the top's likely the only one to go early. He's a guy that, I mean, I do remember watching him in a couple of the playoff games and he did flash at times. And then there was prolonged periods. He went away. So I know there's questions about him. Any guys, from third round onwards, you think a defensive tackle one, one and three tech that Texan could pick up? Uh, you know, I think there are a couple. I, I think it's another thin position. Um, I a player that I really like is Jerome Johnson uh, from Indiana. I think he's a player when you when you pop on they, that game against Ohio State. Um, you know, he really flashes. Um, he has, you know, he had a, an interception in that game, uh, really good uh, in terms of how he processes the football field, reading what the quarterback's doing, what the offense is doing, what the offensive line is doing. And, you know, has he's, he's over 300 pounds, but he's not, you know, he's not the uh, kind of nose tackle type. He's a good penetrating three tech that uh, can, you know, get low, not have that high pad level and um, can really be tenacious. I mean, he played best against better competition. That's what I like to see. So I think he's a player that's kind of under the radar right now that um, I think that people really should be paying attention to. And another player that I like a lot is um, uh, Kyrus Tonga from BYU. Uh, you know, BYU, everyone watched Zach Wilson. But, um, you know, Tonga, he tested off the charts. He was over 320 pounds. Um, but so he kind of has that, that size and athletic ability. Uh, maybe not quite the production profile that you would want uh, compared to some of these other players, but he can. Another player that I think can do multiple things can eat up space if that's what you want a little bit in the one tech. Um, but I think he has some penetrating ability as well. So I think when you look at the third day, I think he would could be a potential steal at the tackle. So I had two separate across the draft um, DTs. Uh, so. I- Probably going to mispronounce this guy's second name, but Osa Odison is a wooer. Um, and then I also had Bobby Brown the third from Texas A&M. Yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think Osa is a good player. He is my uh, D-tackle 10 right now. Uh, so I think in, when you look at third or fourth round, I think he could go a little bit higher than that. Um, and so he's someone that we didn't get to see uh, this season but you go back to two years ago, he was like in the backfield consistently, just a really good run-stopping player despite being a little bit undersized for the position. And so I think when you kind of bring that three technique in, um, you know, that's really good. And then, th- you know, this year, um, you know, he the Pac-12 played that short schedule that always kind of throws me off when trying to assess you know, uh, kind of stats and things. But he had a really good game against Oregon. I think that's where he really excelled. Um, and then he had a couple games late in the season where he just kind of disappeared and, and didn't do anything. So I think you have to definitely assess that. I like him. And Bobby Brown, I have right after him as my D-tackle 11. Uh, so I think both are, are pretty good players. You know, I, th- I think Brown is um, someone who's getting a little bit overlooked, but he he's that prototypical nose tackle um, but uh, he was super productive for them. I mean, he really led that run defense. Uh, that's where I thought he really won. He was very good at m- redirecting running backs to a different uh, gap 
than they wanted to go in. And that's something that's kind of underrated, I think, for a defensive tackle to do. So I think there are a couple teams that need a nose. Uh, and need a nose that maybe is really good at, at you know playing football and knows the game. I think Bobby Brown's that kind of guy. Yeah, well, I don't think the run defense could be much worse last year in Houston. So sounds like it could be a potential fit. And obviously a perennial position the Texans have failed to really fill and have never really kind of gone back to the well all that much since um, since missing on uh, Kevin Johnson the first round a few years ago now. But cornerback, is there a guy you, you mentioned as a position of depth? Any names there you think could be worthwhile watching? I think there's a lot of potential um, for the corners. I really like one of the small school guys in Robert Rochelle from Central Arkansas. Uh, good speed, you know, big, long player. I think an outside corner who kicked in um, and played against slot guys when they were kind of the best receiver. Uh, really successful against Trey Lance. Trey Lance did not throw at him in the one game this season. Um, I mean, Rochelle, very sticky coverage player. Uh, I think he's someone that is being overlooked. There's a uh, another small school player too that had a really good senior bowl, Brian Mills from NC Central. Uh, he's you know he's on kind of on the smaller end. Uh, he's a player who is very very fluid. I think could give you some good depth and learn uh, and and could play nickel as well. Uh, and my favorite nickel corner, just no one's talking about. I, I really love him as a late round pick. Is uh, Trill Williams, the corner from Syracuse. Gives you a little bit of a special teams return ability, um, but he's someone that you know is tough. Like he's he's just a tough, hard nosed, you know, nickel corner. Uh, he has some height to him, some length to him, um, and a little bit of size. But moves with those slots uh, receivers really well, and he's a playmaker. I mean, he was he intercepted Trevor Lawrence, um, uh, you know, in twenty nineteen. Uh, so, you know, he's he's someone that's had a lot of success with Syracuse, didn't play second half of the season. Maybe there's some medical issues, um, but he's someone, and just in terms of the, the film, I think is being overlooked right now. Yeah, the guy I was putting more of a slot corner potential safety uh, was Cree Vincent Jr. from LSU. What did you make him? Yeah, you know, I, I think he's a uh, kind of good pick here. I have him as by corner 14. Uh, and... He is kind of that tweener, like he's not really an ideal uh, cornerback. You know, I wouldn't want him kind of on an island. Um, he does have some playmaking ability. Uh, he's undersized. So I think safety probably is a better position for him. Um, maybe in a nickel or dime situation against smaller receivers, he could do well. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's athletic at his size. So um, I kind of like it, especially if you're going to play him at free safety. I think that would be a good spot for him. Yeah, I think the Texans have got a job to work out what they're going to do at safety because it's obviously took Lonnie Johnson Jr. in 2019 out of uh, Kentucky. It's not quite worked out at corner. Didn't really get a chance to play all that much. Took, picked up a couple of injuries. They moved into safety last year. Is this if they were if they're going to make some decisions on Justin Reed, etc., potential replacement if they're rebuilding, etc.? Is there any kind of safeties staying in the backfield? Um, that you think are potential names to look out for? Um, yeah, you know, I think the safety position uh, it can fall off pretty quick. Um, but I, I think there are some players who have intriguing profiles and may fall a little bit um, in the draft. Like a, a guy that I like from Cincinnati is James Wiggins. Um, he's a player who, you know, is I think could play a little bit in the box. Um, and did that a little bit this year, but definitely has some, um, you know, s some bigger coverage ability. Um, so I think he's kind of a good kind of two-way player. When I look at a safety that's you know, six feet over 200 pounds, he has the size, but can cover tight ends one-on-one. -on -one. That's where he really excelled. Um, so I think he's a player late if you want someone that um, can cover tight ends but still tackle. Uh, and I really like one, one of the small school players, Christian Uphoff from Illinois State. Uh, he's someone that is uh, very fluid, kind of a missile, um, who flies around the field, uh, really good eye for the ball, reads the quarterback well. Uh, so I think those are players that who, you know, I have my top 10 of safeties, um, but could go in that third day. Uh, and I think safety is a tough position to kind of evaluate. Uh, it's always tough for me 
you know, watching film, if it's not all 22, to watch the safeties and know what they're going to do. It's usually where, where I kind of miss a little bit more. But I think this is a position that you can get some value and players are going to fall a little bit. Yeah, and you think Jeremy Chin probably with the Panthers last year. Northern Illinois, you're, uh, around, you know, a small school guy anyway. Again, it's just that's what I see what you mean with the valuation is against competition and it's a, a movement range position. It's probably difficult to, to try and um, evaluate. Staying on the defensive side of the ball, um, obviously takes a move into a 4-3. You've got sort of three separate skill sets, really. You've got to try and fill it linebacker. Um, across the spots. Is there any any guys who are kind of off the ball linebackers you think the Texans could look to probably got a gap at Sam um, based on Kirksey and, and Cunningham going to be the Mike and Will? I think one player that needs to get a little bit more play is Isaiah McDuffie from Boston College. Uh, had 107 tackles this season in 11 games. He was someone that was all over the ball um, and making tackles, not only not only running backs, but he was someone that uh, did really well in that short passing game, making adjustments, had an interception this season. Uh, I think he's someone that you could really look for if you're looking for a, a linebacker that can uh, help that run game, but still has enough versatility and athletic ability to maybe help you in the coverage game as well. So he's he's a player on my radar that uh, I think is going to go a little bit higher than a lot of people have him. And I, I think after that, um, I, I'm looking at maybe in the third round, um, Baron Browning, the linebacker from Ohio State I mentioned before with Trevor Lawrence, uh, just like a super athletic linebacker. I didn't think he played the best at Ohio State. Like I, I thought that he missed some some coverages, missed some reads. Uh, but when you have a player as big and fast as he is, like legitimate, you know, four or five speed at two hundred and forty pounds, there's just a lot that he can do, and really, uh, you can mold your, you know, him into your defense. I think really well. So I think he's a player. If the tape causes him to fall, I don't know if it will. He, he might be some value to scoop up there. Yeah, and in terms of um, the offensive side of the ball, where do you think the where do you think the strength of it lies? in? because I think they take. I mean, it's a roster full of holes, um, as a as a four and twelve <laughs> record would suggest. But um, certainly, there's been some shuffle in the internal uh, spots in the O line, so I don't think the Texans would overlook a centre or a right guard. Uh, look, I think that interior offensive line is good, especially late. I think this is a pretty good class for that. Uh, I think if you need a center, there's going to be a – it's actually like a really good center class. I think there's legitimately 10 guys that have some potential there. I think there's kind of two third-day picks that uh, are good. Uh, Drew Dalman out of Stanford and Jimmy Morrissey out of Pittsburgh. Jimmy Morrissey is more of that athletic – pole center has played guard you could really play him at either position which any of these centers you could but he was clearly the best offensive lineman for that team and really led the run game to do some good things I think Drew Dahlman's a player that's not getting talked about too much uh, but has that kind of calling the shots at the line of scrimmage really big leader and was was oftentimes getting to that second level, doing the work of multiple offensive linemen. Uh, I think he's a player that that's kind of has that hard nosed lunch pail type of, you know, type of mentality. And it's kind of interesting, you know, when you talk about like athletic ability center, it's kind of the one position where athletic ability doesn't seem to matter too much. Uh, so I think you can sometimes get a steal at that position. If you're really drafting players that, you know, are, are really intelligent and know uh, offenses and defense as well. I think these are two players that would fit that. Uh, and in term, terms of the skill positions, then, I'll tell you the two guys I picked up late in the draft. So one was uh, Josh Palmer from Tennessee Vols, and the other one was Larry Roundtree the third uh, running back. I, I really like Josh Palmer. Uh, he's he's kind of one of my sleepers of this class. Has never really had the production because of Tennessee's – I mean, their, their passing game was all over the map. But he's been the number one there for a while and always just very solid. I thought he had a really good senior bowl week. So I think he's a player in the third day, could potentially be a steal. 
And Larry Roundtree, I think, is a good player. Like when I watch him at Missouri, I really see a player who uh, has a good sense of agility, you know, can use his feet to make players miss. Um, his athletic testing at his pro day was god awful. I mean, it was, you know, just so bad. I think he could maybe even go undrafted. Uh, he had a 4740. His vertical and broad jump were some of the worst among the running backs uh, in general. Uh, so, you know, he, he's a player, I think, when you look at late round running backs, like I said, it's a thin class, and you kind of hit a point where ugh, it, there's just no one worth taking, where you're just kind of take athletic upside with no production. Roundtree is kind of that production with maybe little upside. And a possession receiver, obviously. Texans gave probably one of the best in the game away, but definitely needs replaced at some point. Um, in terms of the, those kind of hands guys that are going to dominate on the perimeter, box people out, who would you say is a name to watch for? I, I think there is some upside receivers late that the Texans could take, maybe really try to draw far from. Um, Amir Smith-Marset from Iowa is a player that I would like as kind of an outside possession receiver who has some athletic ability to go up and get, get the football. Um, he's someone, the more that you watch him, he wasn't like super productive, but uh, he's, you know, he's led the team in receiving for two straight years and he, he flashes. I mean, he has some really natural ability to uh, catch the ball in almost any position and use his body really well for that. So uh, he, he's someone that really intrigues me from that standpoint. And I also think that um, Tamari and Terry, the receiver from Florida State, uh, is a player who was kind of hyped up, maybe even as a first-round pick coming into the season. Uh, had a really great 2019 season, but he just never put it together this year. Uh, he seemed to always be out of position. It, it was a rough time there at Florida State, but you know, 6'4", 210 pounds, he's big. He runs really well for his size, um, so I think he's going to get drafted, but I think he could be a steal, and maybe it was just a down year, and you can kind of get a steal out of him. Um, so I, I think there's a ton of guys. I think this is a good, once again, this draft, like teams should come out with a receiver or two, uh, and you're, you're going to find some players that will be productive for you. And perhaps the question that nobody thought you'd be asking, but uh, would there be any later round Guys who you think may be sitting for a year, if it is Tyrod Taylor to quarterback this team, um, under centre, the Kellen Mons, Kyle Trasks in the sort of later rounds, that, or third and fourth potentially, there's only two picks there, but is there any guys there you think have flashed enough on tape or have got the measurables to, or, or even the intangibles to try and be one of those guys that, that pop up that, that nobody that nobody thought that Prescott, Russell Wilson, etc.? <laughs> uh, it's always a hard, a hard, you know, bargain to try to um, pick out anyone beyond round two, a quarterback that could even be a starter. Uh, I think the guy that's kind of getting buzzed right now is Kellen Mond, the quarterback from Texas A&M, uh, because he has some of those tendencies. He has good size. He has good athletic ability. He's been a three-year starter in the SEC. Uh, he's, he's someone like after his First starting season, I was like, oh, this this guy is going to be an NFL starter. Um, and, man, every year he seemed to just make worse decisions. Uh, I thought this past season got a little bit better, but he's, like, super safe with the football, uh, and they were a running team. So I, I, I just, you know, I'm not quite there. If he goes in the third or you know, third round, I think it'll be a bit too high. Um, you know, I think one way you can go with quarterback is to take kind of um, a safe backup who can kind of win you some games. I think there are two guys that were super productive in college, Sam Ellinger from Texas and Ian Book from Notre Dame. as like fifth-round picks. You can take them. Like Sam Ellinger can come in. He can run around a little bit. He can, you know, pull a, a Taylor Henke and maybe keep a game close, maybe win you a couple games that you didn't expect. Um, I think Ian Book is is a tough player that will do what's scripted and do it well. Uh, they're not going to be superstars, but maybe that's the type of player that if you need a guy for you know a six game suspension or a year suspension, you know, it could do worse. Yeah, and just a couple couple of names if you've got them, Shane. Um, I'm sort of thinking Anton Winfield Jr., a guy who came in just 
production from day one, I don't think he'll ever look back in his career. Is there one that's be outside the first round you think's got the potential to do that? Um yeah, which which position? Yeah, just any 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 of your guys that you like this year? Oh yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. I you know I I always have a ton. So I think my yeah my kind of player that I think will will come in with that you know top end production immediately is uh, Terrace Marshall, the wide receiver from LSU. Um, he is by wide receiver two in this class behind his teammate Jamar Chase. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think that people are really sleeping on him because he was behind Chase. He's behind Justin Jefferson, um, but he was the lead guy this season with when they had a freshman who's going to be a star as well. You know, Marshall has the size, he has the athleticism, blew up the pro day, uh, scores a touchdown almost all the time. I think he's the Justin Jefferson of this class. Will kind of get overlooked a little bit. Uh, maybe goes in the first round, but ends up being more productive than like Devonta Smith, who won the Heisman. Um, so. You know, I, I, I really like him as a player who will still go high, but I think is going to be, you know, um, a slam dunk. And have you got any guys who you think people are high on and you just can't see it? I, I think Najee Harris, if I, I'm going to go hard, I guess, on this one. You know, I, I think Najee Harris running back from Alabama, fantastic season. I mean, fun to watch. Um, but I think him, he was 22 years old. He's an older prospect. You know, he was running over 19-year-olds, and that's great. When you get to the NFL, now you got to go up against the best defensive players in the NFL. I, I think he's going to have some trouble. I don't think he's going to be a you know outright bust, but I, I think he's going to have trouble doing what he did in college. You're just not going to see that dominant ability. I don't think he's Derrick Henry. I don't think he has that kind of you know level of um, talent. So I I I, I think I don't think he's like. That explosive, I think that's going to be a problem. I think getting up to the line and through the line quickly, I think those holes are going to close up. You're just not going to see that productivity from him and kind of wonder why. Um, and I think a lot of it's going to be on him. So he's a player I think is going to go too high, you know, Pittsburgh or Miami in round one. Uh, I think it'll be a mistake. And just by virtue, we're, we're picking, we probably talked about a lot of smaller school later round guys, but have you got one up your sleeve that's almost subterranean that nobody's nobody's talking about? So, like I said, last year I hit James Robinson. So my, my James Robinson for this year is uh, running back Jaquan Hardy from Tiffin College, uh, a player at that D2 level who was insanely productive, really tough, um, had a very solid – uh, pro day showed off, you know, some athletic ability he has, you know, he has that kind of same mentality as James Robinson, like good pass catcher can block from day one uh, and is, you know, really low pad level runs between the tackles. Well, keeps those feet moving. I think he's that kind of player that might go undrafted. You can pick up at running back and have a pretty solid player. Maybe he's not going to be, um, you know, a world beater, but he's, I think he's someone that can be, in a, a, you know, a, a, you know, platoon running back in the NFL and be productive. So, um, so that might be a name to remember if your team picks him up and undrafted free agency. I think Jaquan Hardy from Tiffin College is uh, going to be pretty good. Yeah, I think we're well overdue some fresh legs at that position from Lamar Miller to failed experiments and one year of Carlos Hyde and the last year of David Johnson and we've got a, a backfield of older guys so definitely hopefully we'll <laughs> find some point of injection of, of juice uh, at that position Shane, uh, what does draft weekend look like for you? What's your usual setup? What, what's your, how, do you, how do you get through it all and, and keep up to date with everything that's going on? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm excited for draft day. I'll have everything set up. I mean, you can definitely, you know, check out my work at uh, fakepigskin.com. I'll have my top 100 um, the day, you know, the week of the draft. I'll have my – I do a seven-round mock draft there um, and really try to do a good job predicting that first round and beyond. So you can see what – you know, I do all seven rounds, so you can see some Texans picks, which I know sometimes is hard to find probably uh, right now in mock drafts, but – um, I have a seven rounder up there right now um, that focuses on player value, but my final one the week of will really hit on these teams. Um, so yeah, I, I, look, I appreciate you having me. It's it's always fun to talk draft, and that's you know that, that's what I enjoy doing. Yeah, no, Shane, thank you very much for your time. If you haven't already, go and check out Shane's work at fakepigskin.com. Shane, appreciate your time. 
Thanks so much.